Hi guys, welcome back to Brickagium. I'm Brenda Gusko McTiernan, your host for this podcast. As I discuss with you my own experiences with the strange and unusual and delve into some of the subjects of interest and research I've looked into in attempts to understand them a little bit better. As always, a huge shout out of thanks to Hilary Zozula for the incredible art she made for this podcast. She is an incredibly talented illustrator. If you'd like to go check her out, please do. You can find her at Hilary Zozula on Instagram. She's amazing. Um, side note, I always say this, guys. My intent is not to convert or uh, convince anybody with this. Um, it's ultimately not my intent to offend you. So if you're into these subjects, join along. Um, listen to me blather. If you are not, don't tune in. That's perfectly acceptable. This episode is long overdue, and I'm going to be talking to you a little bit about divination um, and the research into psychic abilities. Now, both of these subjects have way more depth than what I'm going to be covering in 25, 30 minutes. So please go look into these for yourself. But we'll start with divination. So divination is a practice that's actually been around long before written history. People have looked for signs, symbols, oracles, etc. This is present um, in some of the most ancient texts throughout the world. But breaking it down in its more modern term, divination is based on the Latin word divinare, which means to foresee, foretell, or predict, and is related to divinus, which equates to divine. So at its root, it's basically trying to predict through divine sources. And while divination itself has a multitude of different practices and techniques that are used for this foreseeing, predicting, etc., all of these systems generally focus on the attempt to see the future or discover hidden knowledge. During the Middle Ages, divination practices were ran running rampant. They were everywhere. And so Middle Age scholars went about trying to um, define terms for these different practices, often utilizing the suffix mantia when the art followed a mystical method and the suffix scopia when the art seemed to be more scientific in nature. Mantia equates prophecy in Greek and scopin equates to observe. So breaking it down, if we're looking at something like horoscopes, um, hora equates season and scopia to observe. The original term was horoscopia. And talking about tarot and taromancy, it's actually based on a larger grouping of divining um, terms, which is called chartomancy, where chartes equated paper, papyrus, and mantia, prophecy. So prophecy through paper, whether that's tarot cards, playing cards, or some other form of paper divination. There are a lot of terms of divination practices that predate this naming that went on during the Middle Ages, including astrologia or astrology, um, based on the Latin word astron for star, or logia, the study of. Um, we also have the I Ching, which is ancient, and the practice of heptoscopy, which was part of the Etruscan religion and involved sacrificing usually a lamb or sheep and then studying the liver of that animal for significance. 
So while there are a long and historical list of different divination practices from around the world, um, many of these practices uh, follow similar methods of divination, whether they go by different names. But all of these divination practices, every single one of them, is contingent on the interpretation of meaningful coincidences that are found in the practice. So coincidence describes a situation in which two or more events come together in time. And while these occurrences may feel or seem connected or arranged, their concurrence is considered basically an accident or meaningless. We've all heard the term just coincidence. However, practitioners of divination don't embrace aspects of chance or accident in their art and focus upon interpreting the presentation of these quote unquote meaningful coincidences for their divination practice. The human desire and ability to perceive and decipher events and natural occurrences is documented across the globe and throughout our history. And leaders in societies throughout history have traditionally turned to divining specialists, shamans, seers, and oracles for discernment of these events and perception into the future, especially in times of question and turmoil. Accounts of this are historically recorded and accessible in histories of Greece, Egypt, Persia, Mesoamerica, Asia, and Africa. So it's very, very widespread. <clears throat> Carl Jung, the famous Swiss psychologist, was actually a major scientific contributor towards the promotion of an understanding of divination in his studies of world religions, mythologies, and divination systems. In Jung's articulation of the collective unconscious and archetypes, he really kind of brought together this idea that all human beings, especially human beings, I guess all consciousness, but human beings share a subtle collective awareness of certain archetypes, these symbols and um, universal energies that we all share in so much that these divination practices from around the world and throughout history would become more meaningful for all humanity because we're actually all familiar with these very specific universal energies that are part of all of our lives and consciousness. He also put forth the term synchronicity to define these quote-unquote meaningful coincidences that are present in divination techniques. In his essay, Synchronicity and a Causal Connecting Principle, Jung described this idea of synchronicity by contrasting Western philosophy, which is influenced by Greek philosophy of cause and effect, and incorporating more of an Eastern tradition that there is a more inclusive and whole interconnected aspect to reality. Jung himself said, quote, this involves a certain curious principle that I have termed synchronicity, a concept that formulates a point of view diametrically opposed to that of causality. Since the latter is merely statistical truth and not absolute, it's sort of a working hypothesis of how events evolve one out of another, whereas synchronicity takes the coincidence of events in space and time as meaning something more than mere chance, namely a peculiar interdependence of objective events among themselves, as well as with the subjective psychic states of the observer or observers, end quote. In any divination system, when you are preparing a question 
for any, again, oracle system, divination system, tarot, cards, coins, etc. You are deliberately entering into a mental state of receptivity for a synchronistic response to your question. So that any card you pick, the way that the coin comes down or how the dice come up, while it interjects a seemingly random element to the equation, it is one that is activated by your own energy. It's exactly these meaningful coincidences or synchronicities to the art of divination, which practitioners worldwide aim to interpret. Michel Gaquin, a French psychologist, studied the art of astrology and seemed to find that there was an interesting correlation between, between specific placements of the moon, Mars, Venus, Jupiter, and Saturn in an individual's birth chart that seemed to have a correlating effect on their natural proclivities, whether it was that they became an athlete. And that's how his studies came about about specifically was um, that the Mars effect theory of his research. It could have been any one of those planets. It could have been the moon effect, the Jupiter effect. But the Mars effect specifically was related to an individual's athletic proclivities or uh, talents. In his book, Richard Smalley speaks of Galquin. His book stars, We Are in Gnosis, and says, quote, when it comes to scientific evaluations of astrology, the pickings are slim. There's only one figure to my knowledge who has tried to evaluate astrology in anything like a scientific way, the French researcher Michel Galquin. After scrutinizing thousands of birth charts, Galquin came to the conclusion that discomfited both conventional scientists and astrologers. He discovered that prominent members of various professions did indeed tend to have certain planets in certain places in their charts. Doctors often had Mars in a particular position, while politicians had Jupiter and writers the moon. Control groups taken from the general population had no such correlations, end quote. While psychic abilities have definitely been used in divination processes, the ability to use intuition and insight, it's kind of psychic abilities have kind of been taken out of many of them. It's really reading these meaningful synchronicities. However, divination techniques have been lumped into a large family of psychic abilities, including, but not limited to, astral mental projection, automatic writing, energy medicine, mediumship, precognition, premonition, telepathy, and remote viewing. All of these kind of aim to pull back the veil and look at the bigger picture. In aspects of divination, um, I've personally used tarot for over 27 years. My mom gave me a classic Rider Waite deck when I was nine for Christmas that I still use to this day. In my studying of the symbols and energies behind the card, and I do have books by Jung on the tarot, as well as many other books interpreting the meaning of the cards, I have been repeatedly validated and impressed when I've had friends or clients come to me, discuss an issue they would like more clarity into. And then once focusing on this and then pulling the cards, the actual energies that, that mirror what is going on with them in their lives and prove and show some insight into where they may be heading and the influencing factors, which have ended up being true. 
So I'm a firm believer in practices of divination and being able to interpret meaningful coincidences, synchronicities to have better insight into the outcome and where we're going and where we are. In concepts of psychic experiences, I've already discussed in previous episodes about uh, my experiences with precognitive dreams, which have been quite frequent throughout my life. And in the very last rambling episode, discussed with you a little bit about my experience when I was five and knowing where the pairs and all these cards were and flipping them over in front of my grandmother, whom I scared quite badly in doing so. This story that I'm sharing with you about psychic ability, I guess, would be along the lines of telepathy. Um, and is kind of sad, but very meaningful to me. In March of 2012, um, while having coffee on my porch in the morning, a phrase popped into my head. And that phrase was, something terrible is happening to someone you love. And it just kept looping in my mind over and over and over again. Being that I am a firm believer in the effect of consciousness on reality, I didn't want to give this phrase any more energy or focus, but it wouldn't go away. And by the end of the day, I was actually a bit unnerved and uh, worried. So I called my very close friends and my immediate family and inquired if everything was okay. And all of them said, yes, they were fine. So I went about, you know, my life. The second day, it kept circling through my head. And by the third day, as it kept looping, it was really, really distressing and upsetting to me. And I had gotten out of work and was walking to my car at night and it kept going through my head and I just stopped in the middle of the road and I said, okay, you need to let me know who this is right now so I can do something with this because it's making me really, really upset. And about two minutes later, my sister called me and she asked me if I had spoken to my father. And I told her I had. Um, I had called him the two days before when I was inquiring with everyone if they were okay. And she said, you know, no, have you talked to him recently? And I said, no. And she informed me that my aunt on my stepmother's side, who was living in an assisted living home, had choked on something the two days prior when the loop began. And she had not been found by attendants in the home in time and was now in the hospital, brain dead from severe lack of oxygen. And in that moment, there was a multitude of different emotions that ran over me, but the major two were extreme grief and relief that I knew who it actually was. I went to the hospital um, after finding out this information with my father and I explained to him on the car ride over why um, I felt it very important to me to go because I had sensed it. Um, And I was there and I stayed there while the family made a really difficult decision to remove her from life support. And after doing so, I just stayed in the room with her and I meditated with her. And I told her that I had heard her and that I was there with her. And I just focused upon her passing with peace and painlessness and then moving on to a more beautiful existence. So that 
Let's talk a little bit about some of the more modern research that's been done into psychic abilities. Research into psychic phenomena has um, been conducted for many years, back into the 30s. I mentioned in the episode on um, reincarnation, the researcher J.B. Rhine, who was a parapsychology researcher at the Duke University. J.B. Rhine conducted research into psychic phenomena at the Duke University in presenting research subjects um, with cards that had specific symbols on them face down and asking the subjects to try and predict what symbol was on the card. He seemed to find some conclusive findings, actually, on the predictive quality of the research subjects. However, the research into psychic phenomena reached uh, governmental fervor after World War II and during the Cold War. During World War II, the Nazi powers um, actually conducted a lot of research into psychic phenomena, extrasensory perception, telekinesis, among many other strange occult uh, research subjects. And after World War II, both the United States and Soviet Union had access to these research studies that the Nazis had done. And during the Cold War, rumors began circulating that the Russians were developing an army of psychic spies. It sounds really crazy, but the United States military felt there was reason for concern and created a program to examine whether psychics could be useful in military applications. Russell Targ, an American physicist, laser pioneer, and parapsychologist, conducted a lot of his research at the Stanford Research Institute, where a lot of this psychic research was conducted. He and physicist colleague Harold Putoff collaborated in a study on long-distance clairvoyance, which became termed remote viewing. This is what is talked about in the movie Men Who Stare at Goats. <laughs> Both scientists were contracted by the CIA to create the psychic espionage program, which later became known as Stargate. Targ himself defined remote viewing as, quote, an ability we all have to a greater or lesser degree that lets us describe and experience activities or events blocked from ordinary perception by distance or by time, end quote. At the end of that quote itself, it implies aspects of precognitive elements. And he goes on to say, quote, we have learned that it is no more difficult to physically or psychically describe a future event than to describe one that is hidden from view but has already occurred, end quote. The Stargate program was funded and run between 1972 and 1995. From 1978 forward, it engaged in operational remote viewing for clients and governmental organizations, including the CIA, the FBI, DIA, Secret Service, and NSA. Targan Putoff uh, published their findings on remote viewing in a multitude of different accredited publications, including Nature, Proceedings of the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers, and the Proceedings of the American Association for the Advancements of Scientists. Sciences. <laughs> 
Targ left the Stargate project in 1982, apparently disillusioned with the increasing emphasis on classified operational work at the expense of pure extrasensory perception research. He went on to form Delphi Associates with fellow psychologist and remote viewer Keith Harari and businessman Anthony White. The first project of Delphi Associates was to psychically predict the market of silver, and all nine of their forecasts were correct. They ended up sharing their profits with their major investors. Later predictions did not prove as successful as the first, which Targ attributed to their motivations becoming more greed-based and less spiritual. It's interesting to note, sidebar, this is also what Edgar Cayce, the sleeping prophet, said about when people would come and request him to see into how to make more money themselves. Just an interesting note. Back to story. Delphi Associates folded in 1984. But they did briefly work with the Atari game systems to create an extrasensory perception video game. Outside of the militarization and study of psychic abilities is the Institute for Noetic Sciences in California. The Institute for Noetic Sciences is an American nonprofit parapsychological research institute. It was co-founded in 1973 by former astronaut Edgar Mitchell, the sixth man to walk on the moon. The Institute focuses research on purported paranormal phenomena in order to encourage and conduct research on noetic theory and human potentials. Some of their topics of research include spontaneous remission, meditation, alternative healing, consciousness, and psychic abilities. Researcher Dean Radin, who I will also talk about in future episodes, director at the Institute of Neurotic Sciences, conducted research showing that the central nervous system responds to events that have not yet happened, suggesting that human consciousness has access to future events as well as past and present. In four separate double-blind experiments, Radin found that average people respond to the content of an emotional picture before the picture is viewed. The odds of this happening are over 100,000 to 1. The experiment volunteers included average people as well as trained scientists. Although psychic powers such as extrasensory perception and clairvoyance appear to contradict common sense beliefs, it appears that they actually don't violate any known laws of science. Albert Einstein, in discussing the validity of telepathy, indicated, from a physicist's point of view, we have no right to rule out a priori the possibility of telepathy. And touching on, just in concepts, the idea of these psychic abilities being studied and, you know, the general population being told that they do not actually exist or that it's woo or, you know, frivolous poof. In the words of Soren Kierkegaard, a Dutch philosopher, he said, quote, there are two ways to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true, and the other is to refuse to believe what is true, end quote. If you'd like to look into any of these subjects I have been talking about, I used information from a couple different sources. I looked into ESPResearch.com on Russell Targ, a book titled The Conscious Universe by Dean Radin. Declassified CIA reports on remote viewing, parapsychology potential for intelligence, and the Stargate Archives reports of the United States-sponsored PSY programs. 
a book on divination by Paul O'Brien titled Sacred Tools, Reading the Mind of God, and some general information from Wikipedia. Next episode, which I am going to be putting out every other Thursday from here on out, guys, I'm going to be talking to you a little bit more about these subjects. Um, I'm going to touch on magic, some of the studies of magic throughout our culture, uh, the power of prayer and meditation, and the effect of consciousness on reality, and some of the scientific studies that have been done into it. Thanks for joining, guys. Until next time, as always, please stay safe out there.